Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So thankful you're here today. It's really good to see you. Really excited to continue in this in this series with you. If you missed last week, we started a new uh, sermon series together called God Questions, going through the book of Habakkuk together. And that's, I bet, a book you have not often studied, uh, may have not really spent much time in. And so we're in, we're in part two today. So if you missed that, it's online. You can check it out at eastgate.church. But uh, go back and pick up where we, where we left off. And so we got through verses 1 through 11 last week in chapter 1. And this is called God questions because, in fact, that's what the prophet Habakkuk is truly doing throughout this, this, really, this whole sermon series. Is he's got some very difficult questions for the Lord, some things he's crying out to the Lord that he'd really like to understand, and God is answering him. God is responding, but in some ways that he certainly did not expect. And so that's really the, the crux of this whole book is this idea of what does it look like to have a call and response with the Lord and how to trust him in spite of what you hear in spite of the answers being yes, no, or wait. We just sang that. What an appropriate verse for this this text. And I want to pop up an image. I'll show this probably about every week, just so you, some of you in the room are kind of interested in history and interested in knowing where Habakkuk falls in the line of the prophets. He's considered a minor prophet because his book's only three chapters, minor in the sense that it's a smaller book. And he falls right in line with the fall. This is the time period where Israel falls and is exiled into Babylon. And the men that are writing in that time period are Zephaniah, Nahum, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. Nahum's the first. He's really uh, accusing Assyria of, of wrongdoing, but at this point now Babylon is becoming the superpower in the known world. And so that's where Habakkuk is, somewhere around 609 B.C. to 605 B.C. Now, it's a very small book. It's a very quick read, but if you've ever tried to read these three chapters, you're left with quite a few questions. And he has a lot of questions that are troubling, probably troubling to you if you studied this before. The kinds of questions, though, that are timeless. The kinds of questions that we're still asking today. Last week, we talked about this idea of how long. He's praying, how long, O Lord, before you do something? I bet just about every one of you in the room have prayed a similar prayer. How long, Lord, until you finally fix my illness, until you finally healed me of this, until you finally saved my son? How long, Lord, until this thing finally happens? A lot of us have prayed that prayer. And today is an even more challenging question. The question, why? Why, Lord? Because God answers Habakkuk's first question, as we saw last week. He answers the how long, and he says, I'm about to do something that you wouldn't expect, that you would marvel at and you would wonder at. And it wasn't what Habakkuk wanted to hear. And so now he's asking the follow-up, which is a lot of times our follow-up, which is why? Why that, God? Why would you choose an even worse thing, it seems like, to Habakkuk and often to us? Here's some challenging questions I bet some of you have asked. What do you do when you've prayed and you don't like the answer? What do you do when you prayed for your marriage and it ended in divorce? And you pray things like, God, wasn't marriage your idea? Don't you say in your word that you hate divorce. What happened here? What do you do when you prayed for that promotion at work and somebody else got it? In fact, it's often somebody you really don't like and they got it. How can that be possible, Lord? 
I'm more qualified. I'm, I'm more ethical. I'm, I can't believe it. Why, Lord? Why? You prayed for healing and the doctor says the, the chemo's not working, the treatment's not working, and you ask, why, Lord? I know you can heal. This is this kind of lament, this kind of question you come to the Lord with, knowing if you are indeed the God who saves the God who heals, why? Why didn't you heal me? Why didn't you heal him? Why didn't you do this? Maybe you've prayed a long time for a family member to trust in Jesus and they seem to have run further from God. This is a good question. Why, Lord? Why? What do you do when you've prayed and you don't like God's answer? Y'all ready to hear a message about that? That's pretty real. That's pretty raw. This is Habakkuk. This is where he's at. He doesn't like God's answer. He doesn't like it at all. It doesn't seem to fit his understanding of God and what God should be doing in the world. So now he has even more questions for God. The answer God gave him just literally filled him with a whole new set of questions. And these questions might sound very familiar to you, but they're very unique among the prophets. Notice something about if you've ever read through any of these prophets of the Old Testament, normally they represent, they represent God's voice to the people. Normally, that's the prophet's job is, I am speaking on behalf of God to the people of Israel. Hey, y'all stop screwing up and maybe God will relent and justice will be served. That's the general prophet, not Habakkuk. Habakkuk instead represents the people crying out to God. And that's helpful to us. That makes these principles from Habakkuk timeless. It helps us today. 2,000 plus years later, this still speaks. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? The book of Habakkuk is indeed what we call in Scripture what we call a lament. Crying out to God, wanting answers about violence and suffering and sin and injustice and not sure what in the world God's doing about that. So that's lament. I mentioned this book last week. I haven't began it yet, but I'm looking. It's in my reading list. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. He's writing about lament, something I've not studied in detail. And he, I love what he says. I read some of this last week, but it's so good. He says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a pathway to praise when life gets hard. Lament is praying and crying out those questions that you right now have while still believing and keeping your faith in him. That's lament. The key verse is going to be today. We're going to read together the key verse of the whole passage of Habakkuk. Really the place where Habakkuk is going to land. We're not going to get to the end today again. And so there's so much that's left out there and you kind of have a cliffhanger. I'm sorry, you're going to have to come back. But the key verse is in today and that is Habakkuk 2.4. That the righteous shall live by his faith. That's the end state that God wants to get. Not only Habakkuk, but us. That we would live by faith, that we would live in trust and in harmony with God. Because Habakkuk's asking these why questions, God's got some good answers today. So here's where we're going to be. In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet here struggling through these whys. And they're really helpful for us. He's learning to trust, so we're also, along with the prophet of old, learning to trust God. And the text is, I think, going to give us three clear ways to trust God's plans for us. That things are going to get better in the end. All right, let's read Habakkuk 1, 12 through 2, 5. Here's Habakkuk's response. Just so you know, last week, God told Habakkuk, hey, I'm sending the Babylonians to wipe y'all out. That was a tough answer. 
So here's how Habakkuk responds to the Lord. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. You, O rock, have established them for our reproof. (laughs) You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? When the wicked swallow up, the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things who have no ruler. He brings brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them into his dragnet, and he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury. And his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly killing nations forever? (laughs) I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, (laughs) write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor. An arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. His death, like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Very, very cautious. Amen. How do we trust God? How does this verse show us that? How does this scripture point us to a better trust in God's plans? Well, I'm going to really dig out of what God says in response to Habakkuk to really get at this. He, in fact, commands Habakkuk some things that I think are timeless kinds of things. And here's the first. Write it plainly. Write it. He commands Habakkuk, write down the vision He tells his prophet, hey, I know you don't understand this right now, but go ahead and write it down. I got some stuff to say. I've already told you a little bit. I'm going to tell you a whole lot more. We're going to read more next week and find out there's more to this this vision. He says, write it down. And not just that, make it plain. The sense of this word, make it plain, may have seemed to you to mean like put it in layman's terms or something like that. But the, the Hebrew there literally means to engrave deeply. That means write it it in such a way that it can't be smeared. Write it in such a way that people, when they see it, it would be obvious. Uh, There's an image here of what they think this might have been written on, this this boxwood tablet kind of thing with a wax type of paper. You actually use, it's an iron type of pen that you dig into this. And then you can hang these things around town. Like they must have had some system of, 
uh, bulletin board kind of deal, probably at the prophet's home. He probably had something where he was hanging things, probably at the temple. There were, there were ways of communicating this information on these tablets, if you will. And he says, I, hey, Habakkuk, I want you to write it in deep. I want you to don't smear it. Make it clear. How? How clear? So clear that the one he says in verse 2 there, the one who runs by can read it. Now, I used to think that verse meant something like, hey, as soon as you hear the word, you can go, you can run with it, you know? That's not the idea of the Hebrew here. It's actually that anyone who's passing by, this thing would be so plain that they could, they could see it and understand it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to make this, write it so clear, make it so plain that if any, even if someone is running by, they'd go, huh? Well, okay, God's doing a new thing, and I'm a little scared. Because <laughs> I'm just, because here's what you're writing. You're writing, hey, the Babylonians are coming. And God is with them. He's not with us. And the reason he's with them is because of who we've become. They're our judgment. Now God's about to tell Habakkuk more about how he's also going to judge the nations. He's not just judging his people. He's making things right. And what's incredible about what he's doing with Israel, and this is the thing that we have difficulty understanding. We would much rather hear a message this morning that says, hey, things are going good, miracles are coming, everything's hunky-dory. But if you are in a mess, if, if you are not following the Lord, if you are living an unjust life, the best thing he can do for you is straighten you up. And that's what he's saying to Israel. He's not saying, hey, everything's perfect with you. No, no, no. Look, prophet Habakkuk, I know you're saying, hey, look at all this injustice. I see it, and I've got a plan. You don't understand my plan, and Habakkuk's not going to get to see it in its fullness. But here's what God's about to do. He's about to judge his his people. He's going to remove them. He's going to put them in the exile, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to turn to him. They're going to turn to him. They're going to become faithful and they're suffering. That's a hard word. That's a hard word today. Because the miracle you were expecting, the thing you were hoping for, maybe if God gave that, it wouldn't make you more faithful. It'd make you less faithful. Instead, he sends judgment. And Habakkuk sees that and goes, wait a minute. God responds with, hey, write the vision. Make it plain. I want people who are going by the temple. I want people who are going by the prophet's house. I want people when they pass by the, the bulletin board to go, oh, whoa, God is doing something. And I'm, hmm, I need to change. I look at this and I know I need to change. Now, here's what, here's, here's what God is responding to. Habakkuk has just said, hey, wait a minute, but aren't you everlasting? He's got several questions in these texts. Lord, aren't you from before all time? You're everlasting. Aren't you the Holy One? Aren't you the rock that's the foundation of our people? He says, we're not going to die. Surely not. And he's not going to kill. He's not going to wipe them out. It's not his plan. He accuses him of this. He says, wait a minute, God, but I thought your eyes were so pure that you couldn't even look on this without, without feeling judgment. That you couldn't even look on this brokenness. But instead, and here's the main accusation. It's right there in verse 13. That God, you would, ju- you would judge an unrighteous people with an even more unrighteous people. How? How, how is that possible? But I like where Habakkuk ends this because at the end of the day, 
He recognizes something we have to recognize, and that is, I can't even see, I can't even see one page of the book. I, I can't even see even a partial glimpse behind the veil of what God's doing. I don't understand your ways. He's not saying these things as if, okay, maybe God isn't everlasting. Maybe he isn't holy. Maybe he isn't uh, of pure eyes. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I know you are these things. Help me to understand how this is possible, that you would send these evil people to be our judgment. Now, don't get me wrong, God. I know we need that. We, we need to be restored, and you need to do that. And We can't do it without you. I'm just concerned that you would send these awful people to do it. But here's his response. Christian, hear me. Here's the response of the prophet, and it's our, really our only faithful response to what God has said, to us, personally. It's right here in chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my watch post, he says. I will take my stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the tower, and I will look to see what he will say. What is Habakkuk saying? I don't know if God's going to answer me on these. I don't know if God's going to change his mind on what he's, what he's planning. I don't, I don't know if he would do that. And Some of these prophets of old seem to be praying, Hey, God, would you relent? Is it possible? And he said, but, but, but regardless of that, here's what I'm going to go. I'm going to go take my post, which is the greatest thing that he could say right now, that he decides, I'm not going to walk away from God. I'm going to go do the thing he's told me to do. God said, hey, you're a prophet, go be a watchman. Be a watchman over the city. That is, watch over the spiritual condition of your people. And when, 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 when Habakkuk hears something he doesn't want to hear, when he's probably frustrated with God, he's like, I can't believe you're doing it this way. But nevertheless, I will take my stand where you've called me. Christian, that's the faithful response to the word of God. One prophet of old says, though he slay me, yet I will serve him. That's a hard word. And yet it's the word to us believers. And it's the most peaceful place. This is the crazy thing that happens in this, that finally Habakkuk has spoken to the Lord. He didn't run from God. He went ahead and let him hear all of his complaints, all of his struggles. And now he can say faithfully, I'll go take my position and I'll listen to hear what you have to say. But I'm your guy. I'm still your man. I have to say this a lot, church. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's just because I'm a Christian. That there are things I don't understand that are happening in my life. Happening in this church. Happening in my family. That I don't get. Pain. Suffering. Brokenness. People. Marriages that don't get restored when I counsel them. Why not? Those are harmful things where I have to just go, okay, God, but I'm not turning my back on you. Because if you haven't failed me before, you're not going to fail me now. I don't understand what you're doing in this moment, but I trust. I just trust. So what I'm going to do, just like a backing, and this is the call to you, my friend, take your post. <laughs> Be a watchman. I love what one commentator says of this, that God is the friend of the honest doubter who dares to talk to God and not about God. You see the difference? Some of you are really good at that second part. The world is. Oh, this God, how can he be good? Oh, this God. And they'll accuse him. He's, if there is a God, he's not good. If, if there is a God, he's evil. You hear these things all the time in the media. They're willing to talk about God, but the faithful man talks to God even in his doubts. 
even when he's angry. It's amazing what Job, read the book of Job sometimes and just see what Job has to say to God, the God of the universe. That is a wild book. I'd be scared to say some of the stuff Job says to God. And yet God says, this is a righteous man. This is a faithful man. This is a man whom I love. It's fascinating to me. He says the same thing of, of King David, who reads some of the psalms, some of the laments of the psalms. These are, these are interesting things to say to God. And yet God says, this is a man after my own heart. That means God just, he loves you so much, he's just happy to talk to you. Even if you're a little confused. Even if you're a little downtrodden. Even if you're brokenhearted. Because he, he's the perfect father. Understand this. If you're even a halfway decent parent, even when your kid comes up to you and says, Dad, I can't stand this thing you've done that you would put me to bed early. You're like, I love you anyway. Even if you are a complete knucklehead. Because you don't realize, if I let you stay up late, you're going to be a demon in the morning. You don't know that about yourself. That's just a simple thing. Imagine the things that you've pointed at your parents and that your kids have pointed at you. And yet a loving parent knows, I still have to put you through that because it's what's best for you. God's doing this on a global scale that we don't understand all the time. Yet, Lord, I will take my post. I will stand at my watch post. Thank you for that word, Lord, because I needed that. I'm just going to stand firm. I don't get everything that's happening. He sounds so much like the prophets. He sounds so much like the saints of the New Testament. Look at Isaiah 55. Habakkuk's learning what Isaiah had learned. That is, for my thoughts are not, my, are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You think you got all the answers? You have no clue what I'm up to. You think you have all the right solutions? You don't have a clue. Can you trust me? Will you take your stand in your watch post even when you don't understand the responses from God? This job of the watchman, just know this, church, the job of the watchman which he has called us to, to be a watchman over our families, to be a watchman over our city, we are called to this for the spiritual well-being of those in our workplace, of those in our families, of those around us, our neighbors. We are called to be those watchmen. And it's a boring job at times. It can be pretty boring. Days and nights might go by with no activity. No raiders. No one comes to burn down the city. But if you get lackadaisical, they'll show up when you least expect. We're watchmen in our homes. We're watchmen in our city. Are you, pub are you doing as Habakkuk is doing here and saying, you know what, I'm going to take my stand in my place. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to wait patiently for what God is doing. And he's going to give me the right answers when I need them. He's going to tell me what I need to say when I need to say it. I'm going to stand my post. I'm going to stand my ground. Now, there's some things you can do, like actually just taking this verse literally. And that is, there's some methods you can introduce into your personal life that I promise you will have an impact. Things like this. God says, write it down. Write the vision. Guess what's a powerful, powerful tool in your arsenal? Start writing down what God is saying to you in prayer. What he is saying to you when you read his word. Write that stuff down. And then go back and read it like a year from then and go, whoa. Okay, God is saying something different to me now, but look what he's doing in my life. 
Write it down. Write down your prayers. Write down God's answers as you study His Word. Write down character traits you're reading about. And start when you're in doubt or when you're struggling. Start praying as Habakkuk prayed. I thought you were righteous. I thought you were everlasting. And wait. He's ready to respond. He longs for your company. He designed you for Himself. Write down the vision. What sort of God do you know? Who do you believe in? Start writing this stuff down. Here's the second, and this one we just love. Don't we love this word? Wait. Wait for it patiently. This is a good word. It's a really good word to to a lot of you in the room that I know some of the battles, some of the things you've been struggling with over the last... I don't know them like you know them, but I know I have empathy and compassion, understanding what you must, must be praying In verse 3 of chapter 2, God says, wait for it. (laughs) He says to his prophet, hey, it's not happening today. It's not happening tomorrow. Look at this. But it's not going to delay. It's coming at its appointed time. The New King James Version, in fact, on this verse says, the vision is yet for an appointed time, and at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. This it. <laughs> if, you had a, if you were looking in your King James, if you had brought, brought one of those today, you would see something fascinating in this verse. Something I was unaware of. So here's a little learning for you this morning. Something I learned as I studied the book of Habakkuk. That this word it here is in the masculine singular. Now, I know that some of you are like, oh, glazed over. Oh, my gosh. Are we in the English class? I thought I was coming to church. Yuck. Masculine singular. The Hebrew here could be translated it, but typically it would have been translated he. He. The King James got at this, saw the he's. But you know what's even more fascinating? It's the book of Hebrews saw it as a he. Let me read for you really quick. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. This is here, the writer of Hebrews quoting Habakkuk 2.3. And what does he see? He sees the second coming of Christ. So here's what's a beautiful thing that God gives to little old Habakkuk. Hey, I'm going to give you a little snippet right now. I'm going to give you a little insight. You think I'm just talking about salvation from Babylon? I got a big, big, big plan. This is how you know God's ways are above your ways. I'm not just talking to you, Habakkuk, about your little brief escapades with Babylon. I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about final destination kind of stuff here. I'm talking about end times. He says, it will not come. That means he, he will not lie. If, it, if he waits, you wait for him. If he, he will surely come, he will not delay. I love what John Gill writes on this. He says, note that the it, seven times here in this text, is not in the neuter. That means neutral. At the end, it shall speak and not lie, or rather, he shall speak. And so in the following clauses, it should be rendered he And so the apostle has taught us to interpret this not as a thing, but as a person. So your salvation, Habakkuk, it's coming. And he means it it both now and later. This is often the prophecies of old. It has a present effect and an eternal effect. 
The present effect is God is saying, look, hey, Babylon's going to judge you, but it's brief, and I have words for them, and I'm going to restore my people. But guess what else? This Christ, he's not going to delay. At the right time, the Lord Jesus is coming again. This isn't his first coming. He's talking about the end. He says he's coming back, and he's coming back at the right time, and it may seem slow to you. I could go to a lot of scriptures to try to define that. That there's this sense that God is patiently waiting for all men to come to to knowing and saving faith in him. That he's being patient with that, but at the right time, he's coming. That's good news. (laughs) I think the Hebrew man may have seen that. He would have read he there and gone, who's the he? Who's the guy coming? Wait for it patiently. Though it seems slow, this vision speaks to us. God has basically told Habakkuk the same thing he's been telling many of the older saints. and He told this to David. Look at Psalm chapter 37. He says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Here's what you do. You, ref- you refrain from anger. And you turn from your wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Wait patiently for the Lord. When others around you who seem wicked are successful, don't worry about that. Don't be angry about that. These little temporary successes that people, they don't see the eternal perspective. Y'all good at waiting? Got any super waiters in the room? I'm not only bad at waiting, I'm bad at waiting tables too. I'm not just... I did that for a brief season. Terrible idea. You don't want to let me have a tray of drinks. It's just not wise. I've been clumsy my whole life with with drinks. Scary stuff. I'm not a good waiter. I think most humanity, humanity, we're just not really good at waiting, are we? I've never met somebody that was particularly good at waiting. Some people seem a lot more patient than others. But we all struggle here. We've struggled here. You can read this book. You can read a lot of books and find out people are pretty bad at waiting. But I would say we're especially terrible at it now. We're probably the worst waiting generation of all time. And here's why. Because we get everything instantly. We don't know how to wait for stuff anymore. We have no clue how to wait on the Lord because we don't have to wait on anything. I don't have to wait to make this purchase. I can buy it on a credit card. I don't have to wait for dinner. I can go through that drive-thru, and I'm mad if it takes five minutes. It better only take three. I better be able to save my order and move right along, pay, move right along, and the fries are in my hand. That's how we feel. (laughs) It's amazing. If you want to see it right now, you can see it right now. It's streaming somewhere. If you want to get it right now, you can literally, on your phone right now, go to Amazon, buy a thing. You're at church. I just bought something. Wow. You can find love right now with eHarmony. Isn't it amazing what you can do? We don't know how to wait on anything. I had a a conversation with my brother just just recently. Uh, We were talking. This this just shows you how um, nerdy our conversations kind of are. I don't know if this is nerdy, but maybe it's an old man kind of conversation. I'm not sure. Y'all tell me later. But we were talking about planting trees in the yard. And... um, this is the stage of life I'm in now. I'm looking at my yard going, hey, I might want to plant something there. You know, He's talking about planting some trees in his yard, and he says to me, you know, I would plant, I would like this hardwood or that, but I know that I'll never even get to enjoy it. If I plant it, 
Yes, yeah, some, some, the next homeowner might get to enjoy it, but I don't even know if my kids will get to enjoy this. I don't know if I want to wait. <laughs> That's a really good question, actually, because I didn't think of it at the time, but this morning I woke up thinking about that goofy conversation for some reason, and the Lord was saying, hey, are you willing to plant seeds that you'll never see any fruit from? Like, that's a pretty interesting thing. Like, this idea of waiting patiently on the Lord. Hey, you might not see this come to pass. I've got a vision for you. I've got a hope for your family. I've got a hope for your people. But you may not see it happen. Habakkuk won't. He will not see this come to pass. He says, write it down anyway. Live faithfully at your watch post. Are you willing to plant seeds that you will never see the fruit? What, what long-suffering legacy would you like to share? What patient legacy would you like to be known for? My grandmother, she lost, she lost her husband when she, I think, to my knowledge, was either in her late 20s or early 30s. He died of lung cancer when my dad was eight years old. She had three children. She had a nervous breakdown not long after that. Moved up to Michigan. They, my, my family grew up in Virginia, but... She had a breakdown and moved up to Virginia to be with some other family. My dad got beat up in schools a lot for like a year or two because he had a nice southern draw up there in Michigan. It uh, didn't go well for him. Um, got a concussion, got beat up at, at so bad one time, got pushed over into ice and got a concussion. But it was a tough season for him. It was an especially tough season for my grandmother. And just a few years later after that, she got remarried to a man who turns out was already married to someone else and got accused of bigamy and... My, my grandmother had been a, a famous gospel singer in, in the Bristol, that, the Appalachian area there of Virginia, Tennessee, and was getting a lot of gigs with her family, and they, they were singing gospel things. But after this occurred, people didn't know the whole story. She stopped being able to sing often. People thought she was sinful or something. This is very interesting to kind of observe all that. She, they grew up very poor as a result. And she was in poor health, really, for much of my life. And I don't, know, I don't know what kind of things we can see when we get to heaven. I don't know what God will allow us to observe. It's unknown, really. We, we have these parables where we see Lazarus looking down and these kind, but they're parables. So it's hard to know if God's using them or Christ is using them illustrative or if this is really happening that people can observe. It, it's a nice thought to think, hey, our loved ones are seeing our movement. But if she ever gets a glimpse down here, she would, she would be thankful to know that her legacy was a great one. That things weren't, they were not perfect. They were, I mean, we've got some rough stories. Y'all, y'all faced some terrible things and I've, I've walked through some, some very painful suffering with some of you. But that's pretty bad stuff. And yet I knew that woman as a faithful follower of Christ. She really wasn't much for if you ever tried to be like Job and say some stuff to God. She was like, you better not talk to God like that. That was my grandmother, who had every right, maybe you would argue every right, to say, God, why? Why would you take my husband? Why would you lie this horrible thing to happen to me? But you know the only thing my family ever talked about with that, that, that broken marriage that should have never happened? All they'd ever say is, yeah, but we got baby Donnie after, out of it. We, and he was, he was my favorite uncle, just an, a, a wonderful man. If she could look down, she would see this legacy that I'm not sure would happen. Here's, this is a difficult thing for you to chase with me, but chase it for just a moment. I don't know that I'd be in ministry right now if my grandmother had not suffered such things. I just don't know. 
If my grandfather had lived, he was a businessman, very good at business. My dad would probably be a businessman right now. Guess what? I'd be a businessman. I'm pretty good, like management kind of stuff. I dig it. But God says shift. So it's hard to know. It's hard to know if that terrible thing that you just had happened to you or just went through. You don't know what God is doing in it. I would say God has used that as a great miracle. And I couldn't help but think, hey, wait for this patiently. I don't know what my kids will be. I don't know what this pain may bring on the other side. But Habakkuk is told an answer. Just sit patiently. Wait on it. God is working. He is working diligently. It's not going to delay. It's coming at just the right time. So believe it. That's the third principle. The third way to trust Him. Believe it. Believe it completely. Those last two points are a a doozy, aren't they? I'm willing to write it down, but I don't know if I want to wait on it, and I certainly don't know if I can believe it. That's a doozy right there. He says in verses 2, in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, look, I'm going to begin to point to something that you don't yet know. Yes, I'm going to use these people to judge you, and you're deserving of that judgment. You just, you don't understand right and wrong like I do. And, but guess what? I've got a word for Babylon, too. And this is another good prophetic word, because if you know anything about how Babylon falls, he's already prophesying that right here. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, look, Babylon, the he's, the his's and the he's here of this text are Babylon. He's saying his soul is puffed up. It, it's not upright within him. But the righteous will live by faith. And then he goes on in verse 5. This is a prophetic word. He says, moreover, wine is a traitor. Now, doesn't that seem random? That seems random. And it should seem random. Where in the world is he pulling wine in this, this conversation? An arrogant man is never at rest. Okay, we've been kind of hearing that Babylon's arrogant, but what's this wine thing about? He's greedy. He can never get enough of death. He just loves to take over and kill the next group of people, to show his power. Okay, we understand this. But what's this wine thing? Y'all remember this story, some of you, some of you Bible scholars in the room, some of you who have been walking with the Lord and reading his word. Something happens at the end of the exile in Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar's already ruled. He's the king of of Babylon at this time. He has a son later named Belshazzar. Y'all can use any of those names for your kids. They're not great people in the Bible. But if you just really like Nebuchadnezzar, go for it. But he has a son named Belshazzar, and Belshazzar does something really great. One night, in his arrogance, he goes down to where they were storing all of God's temple goods, goblets and things like that, and guess what he does? He fills them up with wine. Has him a big old prideful party. Drinks and drinks and drinks to a drunken stupor. And guess what happens? A hand appears on the wall and writes, Many, many, tackle parson. You're like, I do what? That means you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Tonight, you will be overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. God told Habakkuk that would happen 100 years before. He says, wine's a traitor. An arrogant man's going to get what's coming to him. That's exactly what happens to Babylon. And that very night, the Persian armies invaded the city up through. They went up through like the canals where there was a weak spot in the wall and invaded and took over the city. While all the people were partying in a drunken stupor. Hey, look, 
prophet. I've got a plan for them. I've got judgment for them too. I've got a plan for these people. But just know this. My plan, all of this is surrounded around, I'm going to make my people well. I'm going to save them from themselves. Believe it completely. The righteous shall live by faith, he says. The righteous can choose to walk by faith in God's plans, not in the world's plans. When you receive the answer of yes, no, or wait, you can trust. Say, I'll take my watch post. I'll do what I've been called to do. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. God gave this wonderful understanding to Habakkuk. And Paul repeats it again in Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. For, it is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. In 539 B.C., less than a century later, the Persian king Cyrus comes and conquers Babylon, removes these dreadful Babylonians, and they're, just so you know, they're not much better. But for whatever reason, these Persian peoples, they had a sense that there were many gods. They were wrong about this, but they thought that the God of the Israel, of the, of the Canaanite area, was a true God. And they felt, hey, we need to restore those people to their God. And so in a really wild way, God sends his people back and they're changed. They're changed. They're no longer idolaters. They built the synagogue system really while they were in exile. Y'all ready for a really hard word to close this message? Like a really hard word? Y'all can raise your hands like, check. I'm checking out. Like, I don't know if I want it. What if the best thing that God can do for you and your faith is to say no? Say no. Because if he said yes, if I, lived, if I served a God who just kept saying yes to me, I'd be a mess. I'd be a mess because I don't know what I want. And even these kinds of things, which I spoke at at the very beginning. I, but why haven't you saved this person yet in my life? Why didn't you heal this faithful Christian in my life, family, whatever? But, I don't, but God said no. Why did he say no? He's got some kind of larger plan that I can trust and say, perhaps, perhaps. I lost that loved one or I lost that relationship because God is first changing me. And I desperately need to change my arrogant Messy self. That's true. That's just true. He's working on me first. But perhaps there was no way I was going to be able to ever be a witness to this person without this weight that I had to carry. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy thinking, huh? If I check me out on that, I'm good. You can have that weirdo thinking. But I think that's exactly what God is doing first with Habakkuk. With the people of God, I'm setting you free from your idolatry. And it's going to hurt. That's what Jesus says, I think, in John chapter 15, that those who abide in me will be pruned. And any good farmer in the room, any, anybody who's good at that craft knows you got to cut the suckers off or they'll steal from the fruit. And God is doing that in your life. Why? Because he loves you and he really knows you and he really wants what's best for you. And you don't know what that is. 
and what you've been praying. Sometimes he has to say no to so that you will pray the right prayer. Hey, son, I know I'm listening to you. Would you shift that prayer just a little? And I can finally say yes because you don't see what I'm trying to do. Can you love God even when he says no? Absolutely. Can you stand at your watch post and say, here I am. I'm yours. I don't understand everything, but show me. I love what Habakkuk is saying here. I can, sit, I can stand in those shoes. I love what he said in week one because I feel this all the time. He says, why do you make me see it? Why, do, why does it have to happen to me? That is like my favorite prayer with God. Hey, God, why me? Couldn't you get somebody else to pastor this church? Do you know these people? They're tricky. They're tricky people. And I talk to other pastors in town, and they swear everybody's kind of tricky. I go, okay, maybe it's not just my lot. So I say, God, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? And his response is, hey, just stand, in your, just stand in your watch post and keep doing what I told you to do. I got you. I love you. I got a wonderful plan that you don't understand all the details of. Can you do that this morning? I pray for you that you will. When you ask why, Lord, and his, when his responses are wait, and here's how his wait often sounds. That's how wait sounds. God, I prayed for this yesterday. God, I prayed for this for a year now. I don't hear you yet. Why, Lord, why, Lord? Will you trust him even when his answers are yes, no, or wait? Knowing that at the end of that road is peace and joy, when I finally set that stuff at his feet and just say, okay, All I know is what you've told me so far and you called me to preach. All I know is what you told me so far, you told me to be a father. You told me to be a husband. You told me to be at this workplace. Wherever God has last spoken to you, stand in place. I used to hear this a lot. Don't dig up and doubt what God planted in faith. Just stand firm, trust, and watch God move and wait for his answer. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we offer ourselves to you right now. This is a difficult word, but I do think it's a faithful word. I actually think it's, it's not just challenging. It's actually quite encouraging if we would see it right. That God, you are a God who loves us and wants to shape us in the way that you've really designed us. That most of us, I would say all of us, are just a little off-center to what you really called us to be. And your desire is to shape us and mold us to be the very things, the very people, the very vessels of love and of grace and of mercy that you designed us to be. And we're off center. We're imperfect. And we come admitting that to you now, Lord. But help us to trust. Help us to trust the process that sometimes involves pain. Help us to trust the process that, yeah, there are mountaintops. Yes, there's glory. There's wonderful moments. There's moments of of seeming success, but there's also valleys where you're taking us. Help us to trust the process that, God, you're designing us to be the people you've designed us to be. Help us, Lord. Help us to love you. Help us to be, even when we're being honest, doubters. That we wouldn't talk about you, but would talk to you. I'm prayerful for that person today, Lord, that maybe suffering has caused them to turn their back on you. Rather than lament, they've said, God is not good. I do not want to talk to him. And I don't know for what reason they've come to church today, Lord, but if if that's you today, you've come here today, I want you to know something. God does love you. He does have a wonderful plan for you. And he wants to speak to you. And he's not afraid of your questions. He's not going to be 
offended when you come to him saying, Why, God, why? Why would you allow this suffering? Why would you do this to me? I didn't deserve this. But you know God's not offended. He's not like us. We get offended about everything. God's not that way. He's perfect. And he loves you. And he wants to talk to you. And he wants to answer your questions. And he wants to work this stuff out. And it may take time. But my friend, if that's you today, I pray you'll just talk to him. Talk to him this afternoon. Talk to him right now. Speak to him. Air out all your, your baggage. Let's see what happens. Perhaps he'll respond today. Perhaps you'll feel what I've felt in the past where I thought, boy, I've got, I've got every right to shake my fist at God and as soon as I do it, I can't help but feel very small. I feel very much like, you know what, though? I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what your plans are, God. God, and, and your people, would you help us to trust? Would you help us, as I've heard somebody recently say, help us to suffer well by your grace and mercy that people would see us. Perhaps even in the middle of that, people would see us and go, how is it possible that you have hope? How is it possible that you have grace? And as the word of God says, always have, have a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Always be ready to give an answer. That's why, indeed, we are a blessed people. We're blessed because there's always pain. There's always difficulty in this life, whether we know Christ or not. But Christ offers us a purpose. A purpose even in the midst of that. God, help us to trust. Guide our steps this week. I'm prayerful for those people in the room that are, are truly de dealing with, with terrible grief and terrible suffering. That God, you would speak. God, I pray that boldly. Would you speak into their life? If nothing else, Lord, even if it's not a distinct answer, that you would give them a calm, a comfort, a peace that goes well beyond our human understanding. I pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.